This message by Mike Pluniak was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Mike serves as a pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Merry Christmas. Nice. I think we can say that now, right? It's official. No, still too early. Still too early. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. And Merry Christmas. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. In our series on the Sermon on the Mount this morning, we're going to focus our attention on verses 1 through 6. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand this morning and one of our ushers will bring you a Bible that is yours to keep. You may have noticed we are skipping over the end of chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Bill is going to come back to that next week as we looked at just the flow of the text and the Sermon on the Mount seemed like that passage was really connected to what Bill preached in verses 19, 19 through 24 and thought the same guy doing both those texts would be helpful. So this morning our focus is on chapter 7 verses 1 through 6. Matthew 7 verse 1. This is God's word for us today. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is God's word, which is holy and errant, totally sufficient and massively potent. May he write it upon our hearts today. Do not Judge Matthew 7 1 has become our culture's favorite Bible verse. It's probably the most quoted verse. It used to be John 3.16. Remember the days when people held up John 3.16 signs on Thanksgiving Day at, at the football games? Now the signs say, do not judge. Not judging others has become a defining value of our culture. People will overlook almost any sin and agree with all sorts of false beliefs, but they will not tolerate any sort of judgment. This has become the unpardonable sin of our culture. It's also become the definition of love. And to criticize someone else's beliefs or lifestyle or choice is unloving, judgmental, hateful, and narrow-minded. And they will often 
quote this verse from the Sermon on the Mount. And sadly, this is one of the areas where the culture has transformed the church at large. Christians have received that this is the unpardonable sin. We are not to judge anyone. And so it is massively important that we understand what Jesus is teaching us here. Because upon first glance, we would have to agree with them. Yes, Jesus tells us, judge not that you be not judged. It seems pretty simple. Don't judge anyone. Don't judge. But upon further review, when we look at the verse in context, when we look at verses 2 through 6, and when we continue on in chapter 7 to verses 15 through 20, it's much more nuanced than we initially thought. And if we understand If we fail to understand what Jesus is addressing in our hearts this morning, our consciences might be bound by something that Jesus is not telling us here. And we can actually, what actually is happening is we we can become very judgmental applying the verse to not judge. And that's kind of what we see. Don't judge. You can't judge. We become judgmental in applying a verse and not to judge. We can easily miss the point. Remember, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, he's getting after our hearts. These are not laws. That if we just do these things perfectly, then we can enter into the kingdom. We are in the kingdom, and Jesus wants to transform us from the inside out. He begins in our hearts. He's getting after something in our hearts. There is a heart issue that we struggle with. That Jesus is addressing with his disciples, with us this morning. This is for his disciples. This is not a text primarily about how to relate to everyone in our culture. This is a verse about how we relate together as disciples of Jesus Christ. He's actually getting after something in our lives, in our hearts. And while the, the culture uses this verse to justify sin and acceptance of every belief. It's actually something in us that Jesus is after. He's addressing our relationships, our community, how we love one another. And I think the main main point, the main application I want us to take from the text this morning is to humbly address sin in our hearts first so that we can serve others, so that we can love one another. It begins by humbly addressing sin in our hearts first. And here's where we're going to go today. We're going to walk through this text. We're going to look at the heart issue that Jesus is addressing in us. We're going to talk about how, how do we remove the log from our eye and finish with the discernment we need to serve others. So he does address in our text later on, how do we relate to those? How do we relate to our culture? But it really begins in our hearts. It begins at this heart issue Jesus is after inside of us. So point number one is to fight against a judgmental spirit. A judgmental spirit. That we should fight against that in our own lives and hearts. In chapter 7, 
There is a transition in Jesus' sermon from our relationship to God to our relationship to one another. And he understands the reality of living in community. We're not going to be perfect. There will be tension. There's going to be problems in relationships. We need to learn how to walk through this in in a a humble, God-honoring way as his disciples. And when Jesus instructs us, when he instructs his disciples to judge not, he's not forbidding all discernment and evaluation. He's not asking us to suspend our critical thinking. It's going to be hard to apply verses 5 and 6 if we don't think critically and if we're not discerning. It's also going to be hard to apply verses 15 and 16. You can glance ahead in the Sermon on the Mount when he tells them to beware of false prophets. And then in verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. We, we are to evaluate. He's not telling us to put away discernment and critical thinking. There's a certain kind of judging that he is forbidding here. It's what Martin Lloyd-Jones calls a spirit. A spirit of judgmentalism. A critical spirit. A self-righteous spirit. It seems like often as we've walked through the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus has had the Pharisees on his mind. And the listeners here would have had a living illustration in front of them of this kind of spirit of judgmentalism. The the Pharisees, I mean, he just addresses them over and over and over. They were harsh, they were critical, they were were self-righteous, they were blind to their own sin. Remember, they, they washed the outside of the cup when the inside of the cup was filthy. These typically go together when we don't see our own sin, our own need for grace. We're often self-righteous towards others. You would have felt inferior around the Pharisees. They would have been exalting themselves and promoting themselves. And and you would have felt like, like you weren't worthy to be in their presence. I think a great illustration of this is the parable Jesus tells of the Pharisee and the tax collector... This illustrates it so well, this parable where two men go into the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. And you remember the story where the Pharisee goes in to pray and, and he begins to thank God that he's not like other men, the unjust and the adulterers and even this tax collector. And the Pharisee begins thanking him for all the good things he's done, his tithe and his good works, how righteous he is before God. And then Jesus said, the tax collector couldn't even lift his eyes to God, but said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, it's this one that goes home righteous. And he says that he told this parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Just looking down on others, judging them. Considering them inferior. Considering yourself more righteous than them. Being critical of everyone around you. This time of year we have these great characters to remind us of this. Just reminded of Ebenezer Scrooge. Before he changes at the end. But the Ebenezer Scrooge who's just critical and harsh. 
Or maybe for you, it's thinking of Mr. Potter, the warped, frustrated old man. Just this, this picture he's painting for us. That these just make us feel inferior. John Stott defines what Jesus is after as a fault finder. He says this, a fault finder who is negative and destructive toward other people and enjoys actively seeking out their failings. That's, that's, that's a helpful description. Actively seeking out the failings of others. It's not just the Pharisees who struggle with this. Jesus is addressing us in this text. He's addressing his disciples. It's different in the kingdom of God. Life in the kingdom is meant to be different. And the reality is we can struggle with this critical spirit. We can be condescending towards others, judging their motives, condemning them, finding fault in everyone around us. We can enjoy talking about other people's failures and struggles. We can judge them. Jerry Bridges, in his excellent book, The Discipline of Grace, he calls this one of our refined sins. He later wrote a book called The Respectable Sins. He, in, in Discipline of Grace, he calls it one of our refined sins of Christians. And we can miss how destructive this is. And what he's talking about is, is we can condemn all these sins and all these things out there when inside of us we have these refined sins that are acceptable. When they're really not, according to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Jerry Bridges says this. What are some of these refined sins? As I looked at my own life, one of the first that came to mind was the tendency to judge others and to speak critically of them to other people. That the sin came to my mind so quickly surprised me because I don't think of myself as a critical or judgmental person. Perhaps that is part of the problem. This seems to be such an acceptable vice among believers that we don't even recognize it unless it is flagrant and always in someone else. I think it's informative, it's helpful that when Jesus transitions to our relationships, this is where he goes. Because we can have a tendency to speak critically of others. And this can seem normal or acceptable, but Jesus warns us it is not. We must fight against it. So ask yourself, am I actively seeking out the failings of others? Do I enjoy sharing bad news about others? Do I speak negatively about others? This is what Jesus is after. He's after our hearts, our love for one another, our community. Judge not that you be not judged. And look at verse 2. Here's his point here about this. Verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. When someone quotes this verse to you, verse 1, do not judge, judge not, what they often mean is everything is acceptable and okay. That's not what Jesus is saying here. The point of the verse is not that there is no judgment. The point of the verse is I am not the judge, God is. 
He's not saying, oh, there is no judgment. No, there is a judge. I'm just not him. And he's getting after when we judge others as if we are the Lord. We are actively exposing ourselves to his judgment. It's like God is, is reminding us, listen, you, you don't have to condemn and judge them. I'll deal with that. But I'm also going to deal with you and your heart as well. He's warning us about placing ourselves in the judgment seat, the seat reserved for God alone. There is a judgment coming, but none of us are on the throne on that day. So we need to fight against this judgmental, critical spirit. I think that's what Jesus is getting after in this text. So how do we fight? How do we receive this warning from Jesus and fight against having this judgmental spirit? Point number two, humbly remove the log. Humbly remove the log from your own eye. In our text here, Jesus gives us this vivid, humorous, unforgettable illustration in verse 3. I just, he is the best preacher. This is the best sermon. This is a great illustration. Look at verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? I love this illustration. It is so memorable. It is so humorous because we know getting something in our eye is excruciatingly painful. I mean, everybody knows that feeling. You get something you can't even see in your eye, and it hurts so bad. It reminded me of going to the eye doctor and that machine that blows that little puff of air into your eye. Do you know what I'm talking about? I, I loathe this moment going to see the eye doctor. Last time I went, the lady was there, and she's like, okay, sit down and put your chin in this area. And I was just standing there, and I said, you know, I have to tell you, I really hate this moment. This is miserable. And she said to me, it's just a tiny puff of air. And still, I put my chin in there, and I was gripping the table, and she said, don't blink. And you're just, just waiting. And then that little puff of air blows, and you just, yeah, like, jump up, you know. And I, I have a theory that that doesn't actually test for anything. They're just doing that to, like, freak us out and laugh. You know, yeah, put your chin in the strap. Here's another one. But we know that just, man, our eye, it's so sensitive. It hurts so bad. It's a puff of air, and I'm freaking out holding the table. Getting something in your eye, it really hurts. And you need a good friend. You, you can't see. It's somewhat obvious in his illustration. That's the genius of it. You can't see what's in there. You need a friend to help you get that out of your eye. And of course, again, again, Jesus has done this several times. He's using hyperbole. He gives us this ridiculous picture of removing a speck from someone's eye when we have a log in our own. It's just ridiculous. It's hyperbole. It's meant to have an effect on us. It communicates the reality that when we are judgmental and critical towards others, we so often miss the obvious sin in our own lives. We fail to see the law. And it's, it's an accurate illustration, isn't it? It's so often descriptive of us in our pride, in my pride. We can exaggerate faults in others and minimize our own. We 
We can deny that we've sinned. We rationalize our sins as someone else's fault. We blame shift. We so often view, you know, that we have the speck and they have the log. And Jesus is telling us, no, 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 no. They have the speck and you have the log in your eye. Jesus is addressing our hypocrisy. That's what he says in verse 5. Look down at verse 5. When he says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. Humble yourself. Address your sin first. That's the call of this text on us. And it applies to so many, it applies to every relationship. It applies to life in the church. It applies when we're in a conflict, when we see sin in someone else's life that we're concerned about. It applies to our marriages, our roommates, our parenting, our friendships, our community groups. This is life in the kingdom of God. We are to be humble as we relate together. We're all sinners. We're going to sin. And how we interact and relate one, one another, this is how we are to do that with humility. So how do we remove the log? How do we get the log out of our How do we see this? How do we apply this text to our lives in community? Let me give you three application points this morning. Three things that I think we can do to help see the log that we so often miss according to Jesus. First of all, I think we have to pray and ask God for help and clarity. We don't want to pray. We don't pray like the Pharisees and we don't thank God like that we're not like other people. We pray like the tax collector. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We pray like Jesus taught us to pray. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I think a great prayer is Psalm 139, 23 and 24. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Really apart from the Spirit of God convicting us, we won't see the log that is so obviously there. We need to pray. We need to go to the Lord. We need to go to God and ask Him to help us. Number two, second thing we can do to apply this. Martin Lloyd-Jones recommends reading 1 Corinthians 13 every single day. I think that's a great application of our text here. How do I remove the log? How do I love others? How, how do I be more concerned about my sin before I'm concerned about theirs? Read 1 Corinthians 13. It's 13 verses every day reading about what it means to love others. As I read through it this week, specifically a great thing to do would be memorize verses 4 through 7. It's a great way to deal with the log in our eye. Look at this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's the love we are to display. How will they know that we are Jesus' disciples by our love for one another? 
And when we judge and we're critical and we have this judgmental spirit and we're self-righteous and we have this log in our eye, we can't love one another like this. So I love Lloyd-Jones reading 1 Corinthians 13 every single day to deal with this. We pray, go to God's word, 1 Corinthians 13. And most importantly, I think number three application, I think we need to remember the gospel and preach it to ourselves every single day. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves every day because as we remember the gospel, we remember how serious our sin is against God. Our sin was so serious, it took the Son of God coming in the flesh, being born of a virgin, dying on a cross to save us from our sins. That's how serious our sin is against God. And we can fall into this critical, judgmental spirit when we forget what Christ has done for us to save us from our sins. When we forget that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that we were by nature children of wrath. When we forget that we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. When we forget that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we forget Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. When we forget that when God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. When we forget it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one might boast. When we forget the gospel, we begin to be more concerned about the speck in someone else's eye while we have a log in our own. Let's not forget the gospel. Let's preach the gospel to ourselves every day because when we are at the foot of the cross, we cannot help but be humbled. It humbles us to remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. He died for my sins. And as sinners... What we remember is we are in no position to stand in judgment on fellow sinners. John Stott, he has this line he uses I love. He says, we are disqualified from the bench. I think that's a good phrase to remember. I'm disqualified from the bench. I'm not the judge. I'm disqualified from being the judge. Jesus calls us to humbly remove the log, and gratefully, he helps us to do that. Point number three, use discernment in serving others. So he, he addresses this, this critical, judgmental spirit. He uses this vivid illustration of removing the log from our eye. And then look again with me at verse five. He says, you hypocrite, first Take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
The point in verse 5 is that when we remove the log, then we will see clearly to serve others by removing the speck, by helping them, by serving them. We have to start with ourselves. It's like when you, when you fly and they do the safety instructions and they always tell the parents, put your mask on. When the oxygen mask drops down, put your mask on first before you help your child. And I love how calm they are as they describe that in the videos. You know, it's like the pressure drops and the mask drops down and you just peacefully take the mask and you, you know, tighten the straps and your kid is sitting there next to you just waiting patiently for you. That's not how it's probably going to happen. But the point is you have to you have to get yourself in a place before you can serve them. That's what he's saying in verse 5. You have to address sin in your heart, in your life, before you can remove the speck and serve others. You have to deal with your own heart first. And what happens is, it makes total sense when you read through this text here. When you do that, it completely changes your tone. It changes our attitude. When we are humble and we come alongside others to help them. We're coming alongside to serve them and help them, not to condemn them or to judge them. The eye is very sensitive. If you want to help somebody, you have to be gentle and, and delicate and patient. When someone has something in their eye, you know, you can't even open your eye. The light hurts and you're just, you feel ridiculous because you're doing this. And, and, and for someone to help you get that speck out of your eye, they have to be very gentle and delicate. They have to be humble. Now transfer that analogy to dealing with someone's soul and the sin they are wrestling with. And someone is wrestling with sin how do we relate to them? How do we help them? How do we serve them? How do we come alongside them? We're not to, to judge them and to condemn them and to accuse them. We're to take the log out of our eye, our eye and come alongside them. This is what Galatians 6 says. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. Listen to this. In a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself. Lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. We are to be gentle in helping others. Just like we're gentle. In helping someone get a speck out of their eye. That's what Jesus wants us to think. To, to be gentle. To be kind. To be patient. It's a spirit of gentleness. You know, it, it, we, can't, we can't cop out from helping one another because of the log in our eyes. Saying We can't just say, you know what, I can't help, I can't serve, I can't be a person to help you get that speck out of your eye. It says, no, no, no. First, remove the log so that then you will be able to serve your brother. You'll be humble, you'll be compassionate, you'll be kind, you'll be gentle in dealing with them. You can, you, you'll be helpful. You, you'll, you'll help them and serve them to remove that speck, to deal with that sin that they are struggling with. Martin Lloyd-Jones, speaking about removing a speck from someone else's eye, says this. He says, there's only one thing that matters at that point, and that is that you should be humble. You should be sympathetic. You should be so conscious of your own sin 
and your own unworthiness, that when you find it in another, far from condemning, you feel like weeping. You are full of sympathy and compassion. You really do want to help. You have so enjoyed getting rid of the thing in yourself that you want him to have the same pleasure and joy. Do you see the difference there? You see the difference from verse 1 to verse 5 when we remove the log from our eye. The difference is it's a spirit of gentleness. Galatians says, rather than a spirit of, of criticism and judgment and condemning. That's what Jesus is after in his disciples. That's what life in the kingdom is like. We, we love one another and we serve one another and we humble ourselves and we come alongside each other and we weep when we see each other struggling with sin and we're full of sympathy and compassion and we know what that's like as we deal with it in our own hearts and we're not judging and condemning and we're not positioning ourselves above them like the Pharisees. We're coming alongside them and we're weeping. We're saying, I understand. I know the pain of getting something in my eye. That speck is nothing. Let me tell you about this log I have. I hum we humble ourselves and we weep with them. We come alongside them. And just think about how transformative this is in our relationships. Think about applying this verse into your marriage. If this is how we think about marriage, as we live life together for the glory of God, Think about how transformative this could be in our community groups. As we share struggles and we're honest and we're confessing, I need help and I need prayer. And we gather around each other. We put our arms around each other and we weep together and say, I know that struggle. Let's pray. Let's seek the Lord. Imagine with our friendships. Imagine in parenting the difference this makes in our attitude and our tone towards our children. It's so easy to see the specks in our kids' eyes. All the sin. I mean, it seems so obvious. And we're called to help them. We just, because we're sinners as well, we can't just say, I'm not going to deal with that. We're called by God to discipline them and correct them and serve them. But this changes our tone. This changes how we view our mission. We help them as a fellow sinner who's been delivered by Jesus Christ. We don't condemn them. We don't look down on them. We, we, we come alongside and say, I, I understand, and I've been delivered from that sin, and I, I so long for you to be delivered from this sin as well. And we help them remove the speck from their eye. We want others to experience the same joy and pleasure we experience being delivered from sin. And if we're condemning and self-righteous and critical, they feel that. They can feel that. We, 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 we humble ourselves first and then we go and serve them. Jesus gives us this disclaimer about our relationships. And then he finishes in verse 6 by giving us another disclaimer, giving us discernment into how we relate to others outside of the kingdom of God. Look at verse 6. This seems like an odd it just seems like an odd text to be here. Verse 6, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. I like how Lloyd-Jones says he doesn't think this should be a new paragraph. He thinks this flows straight from verse 5 into verse 6 because Jesus 
is wisely balancing what he said in verse 1. He's very balanced in this text. Tells us to judge not. He's dealing with this critical spirit within the disciples. But he also says there are those who don't want the speck removed. There's those who are not going to listen to your message. There's those who don't want your help. When he refers to dogs, you have to understand, these are not not like dogs we think of dogs. We think of dogs as well-behaved pets, or in my case, just pets, maybe not well-behaved, but they're pets. We think of dogs like that. But back then, dogs were scavengers. They, they, They roamed around the dumps. They were wild and unruly. And he's saying to a Jew, you would never take holy food and offer it to this unclean dog. Or we wouldn't throw pearls to pigs. And honestly, I don't know where that saying came from. Uh, I don't know where that analogy comes from. Jesus also mentions the pearl of greatest price in Matthew chapter 13, referring to the message of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's not saying that we shouldn't preach the gospel. But there are those who decisively And defiantly reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when he sends out the 72 in Matthew chapter 10. He's going to tell them. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words. Shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. We see them doing that in Acts. They actively are doing that. They're going and they're preaching the gospel. And they are rejecting. And they're actually attacking them. Which is what Jesus says in verse 6. Lest they, they turn to attack you. Not everybody is going to want their sin removed. Not everyone's going to want your help. And so we need discernment. And, and he's kind of balancing this call to judge not. By using discernment. Believers are to be merciful, forgiving, slow to judge. Yet, we should also wisely discern when people are not willing to listen. And when they turn to attack you. Again, this this balances our culture's view of Matthew 7.1. Proverbs 9.8 says, Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. We need to discern who's the scoffer, who's the wise man. Where are there open doors for ministry to serve others outside the kingdom with the message of the gospel? In the words of Charles Spurgeon, The saints are not judges, but saints are not simpletons either. We're not to be naive. So Jesus wisely brings us balance in this passage. So let's think about where we began this morning. Judge not that you be not judged. Our culture's favorite verse. Jesus is not in this text banning all discernment, all evaluation. He's getting after our hearts. He wants us to humbly address our sin first so that we can serve others, so that we are a humble people, so that we are gentle and patient people with one another. And I think this is a great application for Jesus' prop to the whole Sermon on the Mount. Remember where we started this series. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, 
for they shall inherit the earth. And now Jesus wisely is getting into the details. And he's showing us this is what it means. This is what it means to be poor in spirit. This is what it means to mourn over your sin. This is what it means to be meek with one another in our relationships. Let's humbly address our sin first so that we can serve others. Let's pray. Well, Spirit and Father, I pray to you this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would come and fill us with the presence of God and that you would fill us with all humility and love and joy. May we be a humble people this season, Lord. Give us love for one another. Give us humility. I pray for this congregation that this week, every single day, we would remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. We would celebrate this Advent season, what you have done to save us from our sins, the debt you paid, how far you came, entering into the flesh, being born of a virgin to save us from our sins, and it would make us into a humble, kind, and gentle people, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message given by Mike Pluniak during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.